0: Erkini Kor, Erin Getal, she <laughs> has firkin folcher of Giller, Er Lompian, La Toth and Tavok, the Yetzanata Gabris, Er Fudon Down, Agas Firkin, Folcher Akahoide, if Yetzanus Nagar Commerce in the drama, Elia Tanya You are almost welcome here today to Oris and Ucturán for the official unveiling of a beautiful sculpture in commemoration of the 1913 lockout of the Dublin workers. Now for Sabina, who has been the driving force in having this sculpture placed here at the home of and Ukthron for myself, it is a great joy to have you all here, old friends and new, as we recall the great Dublin lockout and its legacy, and how splendid it is that we are unveiling this on May Day, the International Day of the Workers. Yeah. I like to remind people that John O'Casey was, of course, was very proud to go and learn Irish. Even though his, his mother was blind, it required a great sacrifice. And it was a Sean of that he very often took the minutes of the Citizen Army. So, in honour of him, may I say this is an Irish tough work in Fort Rover Father Cardus and New, as an deal of Allensha, Tan Yachtag in Marcomora, Erin Stalk, as Friggonum or Nedicus Truck, the Ock in La, La- Clear. Luke or Vin, Maragutme, Agasamavan Kailas Saivin, Avilum Sermargin, Unjan of Shock, or a Doc Conahan, Utrone Helen, Gwilchif, Glearlin, Shan Cajogs, Cajano, Drummie Sulia, Agasm with the Queen of Erin, Vricunamo, Nedicus Triviog, Agas and Irak, the Doi It's such a very great pleasure to know that we will have this here now in the home of the President of Ireland, and I want to thank a number of people. May I commence by expressing my gratitude to Jerry King, a legendary figure in the world of ploughing who gifted us the plough. <clears throat> Champion ploughman on so many occasions, and I'm so pleased as well that we've been joined by the chairman of the National Ploughing Association and by the legendary Anna Mae McHugh from the National Ploughing Championships, and indeed by Anne Marie and others. Thank you for being very with us. Thank you. From the very beginning, when Sabina contacted him, John Behan, sculptor John Behan, whose work has just. Renowned internationally, couldn't be more enthusiastic and cooperative than he sprung to the to the challenge of helping us and the Cast Foundry. They have reimagined the plot that was given to us as an inspiring piece of art, which will now become an integral feature of Oran and Uptown and a permanent reminder of one of the most significant and foundational events of the Irish of our Irish Revolution. And we want very particularly to thank Declan Birmingham and his team and to Aoife Harley and to the Office of Public Works installation team who ensured that the sculpture would be so beautifully mounted and for the wonderful landscaping, malamshiv And I hope that when you and your families come to visit Oris in you will be able to see not only the acorn but you will be able to see this wonderful splendid piece now which will be there forever. But there are others who have helped us today, the Irish Citizens Army reenactment group, who emerged from the Prison Officers Association for the centenary of the lockdown, and who played such an important part in the nineteen sixteen commemorations. Your presence here today, I want to tell you, has enlivened the occasion and New and And I And for their beautiful rendering, I want to thank the Communication Workers Union Band, and also, of course, we will be hearing from Keeler, Simon Morgan, Dras and Derek, and Miles Drenna, Harpus Mary Kelly, and, of course, our friends from the Civil Defence are here, but, of course, I'm sure their talents will not be necessary for the moment, it looks like, but... And I also say a Witchwood whether it is indoors or outdoors, one can always actually rely on Mary Coughlin to give a wonderful performance. <laughs> and I think, uh, as well, I'm, I'm, we're so pleased that representing the Larkin family, Eva Breslin is here with us, and Mila Buike is. And I think, uh, as well, all of you, uh, Lochneagart, coming, um, leadership and members of the different trade unions, on a day like today, I know it's a pr- very important day for you all, and for f- members and activists in labour history, Barry, Sarah, and others. Firkin kin of you are all most welcome here, and I'll have an opportunity, both of us, of sp- speaking to you later on. I think we're honouring Sean O'Cahalsic, uh, Rooney, and the, the Secretary of the Citizen Army, Sean O'Casey, whose words from his history of the Citizen Army, they are what are written on the inscription in the statue that has been unveiled today. And in remembering the 1913 lockout, we have to recall the courage, endurance, and historical human rights significance that lay at its very heart. The event we're honouring to commemorating today was about the struggle for the right to, draw, to join a trade union. Only a few days ago outside Columbia University I met young precariously employed uh, research workers who joined the Auto Workers Union of America demonstrating for the right to be allowed to join the union It's a universal right, a struggle that goes on all over the world, and it's a right that was challenged in Dublin when 403 employers under the leadership of William Martin Murphy locked out their workers who were union members and required those who were not members to sign a pledge saying that they would never join the Irish Transport and General Workers Union. The 1913 lockout was a battle for freedom of association, but it also brought into focus As all those who have written about it note the intolerable living conditions that many citizens in the centre of Dublin were enduring. And while William Martin Murphy has been described by some of his biographers as a man with a social conscience, a former member of the Vincent de Paul, a man who favoured paternalistic solutions to social problems, it was not only that he was reluctant but wouldn't recognise or tackle the root causes of social problems, He sought to cut off any possibilities of collective action that was threatened by an insatiable march of capital for its beneficiaries. By denying his workers the voice of trade unionism, he was denying them a say in their working conditions, a say that would inevitably have led to the payment of a fair wage to his workers and no doubt at a cost to his own profits. And after four months of being locked out from their livelihoods, their children starving, and their families in dire hardship, the workers were forced to capitulate, and the lockout ceased in January 1914. Their despair and despondency at their defeat are evocatively described in the words of James Connolly at the time and so we Irish workers must go down into hell, bow our backs to the lash of the slave driver, eat the dust of defeat and betrayal. It was, however, to be a pyrrhic victory for their employers. Having witnessed the potential power of the Labour movement to shake or overturn the entire social order, employers were not willing to put it once more to the test. Effectively, therefore, the Labour movement had won the freedom to organise workers into unions, prepared to strike to achieve equal rights, respect and dignity at work. And a hundred years ago, in 1918, it would be the Labour movement who would take the first significant steps towards opposing conscription. Today it is essential that work and the workplace in all its facets, and in its essence as a shared human activity, continue to be given a central place in any discussion of the values by which we as a community wish to live. And we must test ourselves by regularly asking if we all of us retain the spirit of those courageous women and men who endured months of poverty, hardship and starvation in order to win for us and future generations the right to demand fair and just places of work and the right to belong to a union. The workers and their leaders of a century ago by their example can inspire us as we respond to what Alain Supio describes as the neoliberal utopia of total market which forces many workers to become victims of a socially unaccountable version of the economy as decades of hard-won rights are being placed under threat, gradually eroded or even lost to the workers of today. There can be no doubt that many in today's labour force all over the world on this May Day, in the European Union and closer to home in our own economy, find themselves trapped in new forms of chronic job insecurity, part of a newly emerging precariat whose working lives are defined by temporary contracts, unpaid internships and zero-hour working arrangements. For many, the consequences of such precarious employment are severe, include financial difficulties, limited career opportunities for personal development, inability to buy or rent a home for themselves and their families. We have in recent years been travelling down a perilous road where we have seen a shift in contemporary forms of work towards an emphasis on measured performance, output, the commodification of what is called a flexible workforce a shift which has been made often at the expense of a holistic conception of the welfare, security and interest of workers. Many hard-won workers' rights have been forced to be conceded in the name of so-called economic realism, which is really the worst form of economics, and methodologically, bad economics. People have been reduced to units of labour, a paternalistic approach reminiscent of the 19th century where employees are offered superficial incentives rather than rights, rather than ethical values, contemplation rooms rather than rights. It is urgent then that we support our trade union leaders, our workers' representatives, and workers themselves as they seek to reclaim their say, their autonomy, their right to be viewed as equal participants in the economy and in society, their unique contribution to be respected, their voice and those they represent heard, all of our citizens' dignity to be upheld. And thus, today, as we celebrate the installation, here in Ora of the Starry Plough, a cultural icon of the foundation of the state, let us contemplate the words written on its plaque, words which summon up the passion, ardour and determination of Jim Larkin as he addressed those Dublin workers, now long dead, who struggled and fought for a better world and a better future, Telling them, as Sean O'Casey told us, that they were engaged in the fight of their lives, that every conceivable combination had united its forces against the workers, that it would be a long and bitter struggle between the titans of capital and the titans of labour, as you've heard Sabina say. So Tiglin Queen for her hugs a good ockle, agaragashinigiri down the tonies fair isn't his a Let us honour their memory, invoke their words and their lives as we continue to claim on this May Day for them that better and fairer world which is possible. Give meaning to the emancipatory promise of an economic and social order that all citizens will, in which can participate and understand, that is built on ethical foundations, that places the needs of citizens at its very heart. Thank you for being with us